Uh, Nicole, first, I'm going to say thank you. Thank you for inviting you. me to be here tonight. You're the ultimate superwoman. How could I have anyone else? I am your super fan. Uh, since I am the interviewer tonight, I guess I'll go first. My name is Stephanie Rule, and I want to thank you all uh, for coming, for caring about what we have to say. But I especially want to thank Nicole. Thank when Nicole asked me to do this, there was one reason why I absolutely said yes. Because time and again, young people, especially young women, say things like, well, how do you do it? And Nicole is the answer. Nicole Lappin is a true hustler in the best sense of the word. Lots of people sit and they wait in line and they wait for opportunity and they get really good grades and they say, well, because I got an A, that means I deserve this. And because I did this job, well, then I deserve a promotion. But we all know that is not how the real world works. And Nicole Lappin is a true resourceful hustler who has built her business, lives her brand, and makes it happen. And I'm honored that you asked me, and I'm thrilled that you wrote this book, and I can't wait for this room to learn more about you. So welcome, Nicole. Thank you. I didn't know I was going to get all clumped before this. Um, I have to talk about the president all day, so obviously <laughs> you're a gift. <laughs> the bar is low. <laughs> um, let's start with the book, Becoming Superwoman. What does that mean? So I wanted to kill the idea of trying to be Superwoman, the character, who tries to do it all and be it all and be all things to all people. Because if you try to do that, you're nothing to yourself. And therein lies the problem. So we try to be the best versions of so many aspects of our lives. So when we compare our fitness regime, we do so to some amazing fitness blogger who works out five hours a day. When we compare how we are as a mom, we compare ourselves to someone who homeschools her kids and bakes bread. That's not realistic. I do all those things. I don't know why. Obviously. <laughs> so I wanted to be a super space woman, just a super woman, a woman who puts her oxygen mask on first before helping others. And I realized that they don't say that on the plane before takeoff just to waste time. It's true. You can't be of service to anyone else if you're not helping yourself first. What got you to this place in your career? Because this is a new way to think. And you're initially saying, we think this way, these are our reflexes, but something had to have happened in your life or your career for you to say, hold on, this isn't how, how it should work. So I started working when I was 15. I grew up in a super broken home, first generation American. My father died of a drug overdose when I was 11. My mother sort of peaced out. And I just needed to figure it out. I didn't have any connections. I started at the bottom. I went to Lexington, Kentucky. This is how news works, as you know, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Uh, and I back in the day when you couldn't skip steps on YouTube and whatnot. And I just worked and worked and worked some more. And I hid from a lot of childhood trauma that I didn't even know that's what it was by self-prescribing work. So for the last 20 years, I put that at the top of the priority list until after my second book came out a few years ago. And right after the book tour, I had a complete mental, physical, and emotional breakdown that stemmed from a severe burnout and an emergency admittance to the psych ward. And that's when I needed to rethink everything and rethink how I was working. And it was only in that moment at my own personal rock bottom from all outward appearances. I was 
a New York Times bestselling author who was talking to other women about getting their careers together and networking and how to negotiate and all of these trying to democratize business news and financial content for an audience that needs it most. And I looked so put together on the outside, but inside I was broken. And that's when I realized that self-care is actually the biggest asset or liability in your career. When it's off, it can bring you down like it did for me. And when it's on point, it can actually bring you more success than you ever imagined. I think we get in this cycle that we'll be happy when we get to a certain level when we get to a certain salary, when we get to a certain job, and then we get there and almost immediately we change the goalpost on ourselves. Then there's always another there, there. We never get our brains to the other side of happiness or balance, at least I didn't. And that's when I found through studies and research for the book that we have that equation wrong. That actually happiness and balance brings us more success and not the other way around. What it sounds like you're saying is that you lacked peace. Is that what was missing? Because if it's all about a goal, and as soon as you achieve that goal, you're suddenly looking for the next one, then there's never, ever a sense of accomplishment. Is it about a hole that you're trying to fill? I think if you would have asked me the top five things I valued most in this world, the top 10 things, the top 20 things, the top 50 things, 100 things, I would have never listed myself. I would have never thought to think to add myself to that list until I literally put a ring on it. By the way, I bought myself a right-handed wedding ring and I needed to, true story, I don't have one on the other, but if I do, I'm still gonna have this one. And I think that's a really important point. I didn't even think to put myself at the top of the priority list. I always neglected emotional wellness. Is that because, or maybe I'm misinterpreting it, but is that because you viewed success or self-worth based on others telling you you're worth it, you're talented, you're successful, and that would make you feel good because that's different from self-care. Self-care is you feeling comfortable and okay. And needing to achieve is more about other people validating you and telling you're good enough. I so think, is that the reversal? I think if you have one, you don't need the other. I think if you really are good with yourself, it doesn't matter as much what other people say or how people judge you. But 100%, I was so concerned with what that image was. You know, I was, we worked together at Bloomberg. I always whitewashed my backstory. I never said the truth. I mean, I did. The facts were that my father was a doctor. My mother was a beauty queen. Those were facts. But the other facts are what I just told you, and that's the real story. But of course, I wasn't the story. It didn't matter. As you know, we're writing the first draft of history and all these, like, you know, very fourth estate, William R. Morrow type things. Like, who cared about me? I was just the conduit for talking about the story. Until I, I left Network News and I was able to share my truth and find my own voice, that I realized for so many women who are now my readers and viewers that if I go first, they feel licensed to do the same. So it's like, I'll show you mine if you show me yours, especially with taboo topics. But in terms of who cares about me, that is the secret to your success. Having a relationship with your reader or your audience is everything. People can get information, especially in 2019, from anywhere. But if they know you and care about you, that's sort of the magic sauce. So when you sort of went from rock bottom to rebuilding, on that rebuilding tour, you were not tied to a show, a network, a partner. You did all of this on your own, which is the bravest way to do it. 
Can you speak about that? Because most of us define ourselves by, and we don't think we do, if I get this job at Goldman Sachs, if I get this job at NBC News, or this husband or boyfriend or partner validates me. And on this journey of self-care that you took, you weren't looking for any of those partners. You were your own partner. For so many years, I was looking for a man or a job to complete me. I was like, when I get to a certain level in work. my career, right? <laughs> <laughs> Or if I find a dude, or if I start my own family, then I'll take trips, then I'll take adventures. And I was tired of waiting. And when I needed a hero most, I had to become my own, which was a foreign concept to me. Did you, do, you remember, do you remember a moment when you felt like, somebody's got to pick me up and it's got to be me? Yeah, I mean, I was standing there in front of a whole row of psychiatrists uh, at my own personal rock bottom. Like, I thought I was the girl interrupted. I woke up, I'm like, I'm in the psych ward. Like, how did I get here? And, you know, some people will say to me now, like, you're on a book tour. The last book tour drove you there. Are you okay? And I say, you know, that wasn't a spontaneous combustion. My burnout wasn't. Uh, that per was precipitated by a single event. I truly believe that it was a lifetime of smoldering embers that finally caught fire and incinerated everything in their path. Wow. So to you, what does balance look like? Balance can be used as a noun and a verb, as you know. And I think we as women use it as a noun a lot. It's like, we found balance. Like, we find I have to find the time for it. It's like, who in the history of the world has ever found time I want to make out with you? <laughs> because. We can't find time. And balance is like, oh, it's hiding under the couch. It's like there's some secret game of hide and seek I don't know about. But instead, I think balance should be used as a verb. It's something that we constantly have to work on. You know, I was supposed to come out with this book six months ago, actually. Um, I had my first book come out four years ago in March. My second book came out two Marches later. And I was like, let's wrap it in a little bow and make it two Marches after that. Nobody would have known except for me. But I felt like right before the launch, I was on the verge of relapsing. I felt like a total imposter yet again. And I was like, how am I going to go and talk about burnout and balance when I feel like my life is hanging in it yet again? And so I stopped the presses and the printing, and I went off the grid, and I read my own book. I read my own book. I read all of it. And well, I was isn't like, that like listening to your voice on your answering machine over and over <laughs> and over? I was like, who wrote this? This is pretty good. Remember that commercial that was like the hair club for men commercial? The hair club for men commercial? Do you remember this? Yes, it was yes, like, and I'm, I'm not, the customer. Right, it's like yeah. I'm not only the founder, but I'm also, I'm a, also customer. a customer. Yeah. I felt the same way. I was like, I am a the writer of this book, obviously, but I'm also a lifelong reader. It's not like you find balance and you're done and you're good. It's something you constantly have to cultivate. And I think balance looks different for everybody at different times. Like if you look at a woman in her 20s or my former self who's at her computer 12 hours a day, you're like, she's obviously unbalanced. Maybe not. Maybe that's what she's focusing on right now. So forgive yourself for what you're not focusing on. And then we always change the bar on ourselves. Like when people say, I'm off budget or I'm off balance, I'm like, did you even have a budget? Or did you even define balance? What do you mean you're off balance? Like it's just because what you're noticing from other people and what they're doing, what's your benchmark? What's your definition of balance? It's like, can you have it all? This age old question. I think we can have it all, but first we have to define what it, what it all is. means. I mean, it we means... can't do it all, but we can have it all. Do you think men are looking for balance? 
I think that a lot of men are probably looking for balance and are probably burned out. But what's interesting is that men typically don't buy business books written by women. And I needed to choose who my audience was. And I knew who she was. And so a lot of the advice that I talk about can be geared toward men. Finding boundaries, setting intentions, mastering your mindset. But if you try to be all things to all people, like I said before, you're nothing to anyone, especially when it comes to media. And so I really had to choose who she was. And she was my former self. But do men need help with this maybe even more than women do? They just don't feel the freedom to talk about it. Right? Women actually talk about seeking balance all the time, but you almost never hear men do. But A, is there something about uh, bravado or machismo that they don't feel the license to do it? Or have they just not gotten there yet? Because to your exact point, all of those uh, mentions are a priority for men, especially today when more men uh, take on more responsibilities outside the workforce. I mean, corporate America was designed. So as you move up the corporate ladder, that senior person had one role in life, to be successful at work. And there was an assumption that there was another person in their life who managed everything else. So corporate America, any leadership roles, it could be government or business, the way that paradigm looked, you just had to succeed at work and all else would work itself out. That's obviously changed. The expectation of men and women, partners have changed. So is there a bigger need or a cry for help for men? And they don't, and to your point, they, they don't buy self-help books written by women. They don't go to forums where they talk about things like this. It's one area in my life I haven't figured out, Stephanie. I don't know a lot about men. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I know a lot about, I know a little about a lot. That's an area I don't know much about. Um, I think there's a section in the book that I talk about men taking more credit for different roles that they take on at work. So they'll have a smaller task, but they'll speak up more so it's perceived that they had a bigger task, which is why I often suggest don't leave a meeting to many women who don't feel like they can speak up. So they feel like they can take more ownership and more credit. But there are many business books that talk about happiness and how that affects EQ and emotional wellness and um, mental wellness and how that affects your business life, but there's no book that talks about the biggest time, money, and energy suck there is, which is what, Stephanie, your bambinos. And whether yes. you want kids or not, I don't care. Have 10 kids, have 10 cats. You do you. Like, but kids are expensive and our biological clocks are real. And when I turned 30, I was a psycho with my boyfriend who, who I no, wanted to are. have so kids. So right there, so just stop. No. Right there, you're already discounting yourself, right? So 15, five minutes ago, you said to me, and I ended up in the psych ward. For whatever reason, you needed to go there. But we're talking about when you were 30 years old and you actually had... The realization that a lot of women should have, which is we have more career and education opportunities than ever, but our bodies haven't changed. That's and true. women are their most fertile when they're late in their late teens and early 20s. But right there, you just said to me, I was 30 and I was a psycho. You were not a psycho. You were realistic. <laughs> Thanks, lady. Do you know what I'm saying? No, and when you immediately discount and go, I was a psycho. No, you weren't. You're right. And I, I strive for progress and not perfection. And I am still a constant reader of this. And I do what you just did to me to a ton of my friends or sitting in the audience right now where I say, what, Christy? Don't talk about my friend like that. Yeah. We talk, can I say shh in here? No, it's fancy. <laughs> so we talk, no, 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 we can't. We talk, you know what, about ourselves. 
and we put ourselves down constantly. We say we're fat, we say we're, you know, we're not good enough, or we're gonna die alone, and we're gonna be broken homeless because we lost a deal at work. We would never talk about ourselves like that, ever, ever, ever. We would never say to our best friends, like, oh yeah, you lost a deal at work, you're gonna die alone, you're never gonna work again. <laughs> Right? If somebody else talked about my friend like that, I would gouge their eyes out or punch them in the face. Right? So I say, don't talk about my friend like that. And you're absolutely right. I shouldn't talk about my best friend and my wifey like that. When you think about what balance should look like for people, how should we think about it? How should we approach it? Because we are really ambitious. We do want to have all different success, whether it's at home or it's at work, and those are big lofty goals. And whether it's our boss who wants us to be there 24 hours a day, or our children, and in my case, all three of them are gangsters who are manipulating me in all of their waking hours. So it's, they're awesome, but they are, right? I mean, they're total gangsters. How do you actually say, I need to put the brakes on this and care about myself? Superwoman Shonda Rhimes says no is a complete sentence. And I think it's about creating boundaries and actually sticking to those boundaries. States and countries have boundaries. They're not wishy-washy lines. We often don't. How do you succeed at work if you create, let's say you and I are both in the same workplace. Dare I say we're competitors at work. How do I succeed if I create boundaries and walk out of the door no matter what at five and walk in no matter what at nine, and you don't have boundaries, and you're there 24-7 giving it your all. How am I going to end up being the one to get promoted over you? But I don't know what the boundaries are. I mean, maybe you're totally fine doing your boss's kid's sixth grade science fair project. I don't know. You have to define your own boundaries for yourself. Maybe those are where your boundaries are. And I think balance, this whole idea of like work-life balance is ridiculous. This stupid lady justice with her two bowls and trying to be 50-50 like doesn't make sense to me. I think super women, you and I and everybody in here has many things that we're trying to balance. Our romance, a side hustle, like what do we put 37 0.5% to a side hustle and 14% to you know our work or whatever. And so I came up with a point system that I talk about in here that's like a Weight Watcher system where you give yourself 10 points in a day and you allocate them to what you're focusing on that day and forgive yourself for what you're not. And the only requirement I have is that you put at least one point toward emotional wellness. Otherwise, what does that look like? It will otherwise will take up all of the points. And so whatever that looks like to you. For me, meditation is not like sitting in a room and paying $40 and being silent. If that's for you, God bless you. Um, it's not for me. But for me, it's taking random classes, for instance, and like going to latte art making or tomahawk throwing or like dream catcher making. And the repetitive motion to me is meditative. And I try to make time for that. And I think if you really want percentages, as you know, sneak attack, you can just add a zero at the end. Well, there you go. When people <laughs> speak to you and they're at their rock bottom, when they can't even find Superwoman, what's the first step? And many of you have a problem. That's all my books are 12-step plans, and it's true. Uh, if you don't admit that you have a problem, you can't But how do you know what the, the problem is when someone says, my problem is I'm losing at life? You're right, and I didn't know what my problem was for many, many years. I went through a lot of different diagnoses. I had bouts of depression for many, many 
rounds in the ring with darkness in my career. I didn't know what that was. Um, I had times of hyper arousal, which is what they call it, not the sexy kind, but like hyper vigilance. And I found that my PTSD diagnosis um, was so accurate. And once I could finally find a label that made sense for me, I took away some of its power. And as the type A lady that I am, I worked toward that. What I did was I actually reframed it to become my biggest superpower, which is something I never thought it would be. You know, I thought it would be something that would ultimately take me down. But looking back, I don't wish that I didn't have PTSD from this lifetime movie of trauma that I lived through in the first 15 years of my life. It made me work harder, it made me who I am today, and it gave me the platform made you a friend of mine because we worked together at Bloomberg. So it got me there, and then it got me to this platform here where I'm able to share my story. So I, I don't look back and consider that a problem. I have to consider it a superpower. What about the realization for you know, women, not necessarily in their 20s or 30s, but maybe in their 40s, where they don't feel like superwoman, where they don't feel the massive highs, and they're also not at rock bottom, but they're in this grind this place of real-life melancholy where suddenly they feel like, I'm not going to achieve all that I thought I would, and they're actually just feeling ex extremely mortal. I don't know, know how, how else to put it. How do you help that woman find her energy and redefine what a superwoman is? Because all our lives, read, looking at women's magazines, checklists, and articles, and this woman on top, or that woman on top, what if you're a woman who isn't going to have a magazine article written about her and isn't going to be the PTA president and, and doesn't have giant wins, but it's just in that grind of life? How do you help her find the superwoman in her? F-words. My favorite F-words. In the first two books, I talk about the three Fs. And in this book, I say, mia culpa, I forgot an F-word. Um, and that means goal setting in areas of your life for family, finance, fun, and I forgot fitness, which is mental and physical fitness. And I say to that woman that if you don't have a destination, it's very difficult to get there. So it's reverse engineering what you want out of life and figuring out what that looks like first, because maybe you're not failing, but you haven't figured it out. I used to get so much anxiety when people would ask me, what do you want to be in 10 years? Where do you want to go in five years? I'm like, <laughs> world media domination. And I got so much anxiety because I didn't actually answer the question. And so when people at business events or whatever will say, yeah, I have a goal. I have a million dollars. I want a million dollars. That's my goal. I'm like, mm, really? Like, what are you going to do with that million dollars? What does it mean? Uh, maybe you need more than a million dollars. I don't know. Maybe you need less than a million dollars. But figure out the life you want and then reverse engineer it to figure out how to get the money to live the life you want. And so I think breaking all of this down into steps is the only way I've known how to tackle it. It all feels woo-woo and squishy, especially this topic. You know, business and personal finance feels very overwhelming. So when you break it down into those steps, it feels like something you can tackle. So one, three, five, seven, ten-year goals is what I look to now instead of those big lofty goals, like 10 years. And so it feels like you can actually accomplish that within that time frame. Passionate people care a lot about their personal life and their professional life. How do you keep the two from bleeding into one another? Or maybe you shouldn't. Have, maybe it's a good thing if they do. But I can say with relative amount of confidence, no matter how much your coworkers like you, they don't want to hear about all your crap at home 24 hours a day. And at work, 
People don't want to hear about every sniffle and problem and teacher that doesn't like your kid. Those are two, or, or, or your friends. Your friends don't want to hear every single career woe that you have. How do you separate the two while at the same time care about them a lot and give your heart to them? I don't know if you can separate the two. I mean, work is fun for me, and fun is work, and vice versa. I hated business. Like, I didn't know anything about business news when I got a job at 18. I just needed a job. I went to a station in Chicago where they had, like, a station in Milwaukee where I thought I was that was my destiny. They're like, you don't get that job. Did you know anything about business news? We have a job for you on the floor at the exchange. I was like... Totally. I love business news. How did you know? My boyfriend in high school said he wanted to be a hedge fund manager. I thought he wanted to be in gardening. I was super clueless. Super duper duper clueless. My family... But do you hear yourself saying, I was super duper clueless? But it's true. Hold on a second. So was your boyfriend. Here's the thing. When he was in high school, I promise you, when he was in high school, he wanted to be a hedge fund manager. You know why? Because he knew one rich guy who was a hedge fund manager, and he read the book Bonfire of the Vanities. So right there, you're going, you know, he knew what he wanted to do, and I thought it was a gardening job. So did he. He just knew it was a, a rich job with guys who get laid. So you're convincing yourself that you didn't know anything, and he did. He didn't know anything more than you did. True story. And then I learned. And then I realized that money is a language like anything else. We just didn't have a Rosetta Stone. Homeboy didn't have a Rosetta Stone either. Okay? But I did something about it. And ultimately, I laughed less. Because fast forward a decade later, they wanted to hang out. Just saying. Side note. Obvi. Obvi. Um, but, you know, I, I think He wanted finance tips from me. Because he was going, <laughs> remember that hedge fund job I wanted? Can you help me with it? He didn't know what it was. But what I did ultimately is I took something that I needed to do. I think a lot of business experts, as you know, say like, go out and do what you love, FOMO, YOLO, whatever. Like, whatever, yo. Um, what I feel like I have, need to do is just get paid. I needed to get paid. And I took something that I thought at the time I totally hated and was totally clueless about. I mean, my family used cash, like green cash. They were like, I bailed them out of jail. I mean, that's all I knew. I didn't know bonds or anything. Bond girl, maybe, but that's it. And then I took the opportunity that I had and I actually wanted to be a writer. So growing up, I started as an English major. But then I thought I needed to make money, which didn't happen at my $17,000 a year job when I first started. But I tried to make something of that where I found the sweet spot. of Like, OK, I want to do writing, and I want to reach people. And here's what I have as like this platform. So let me find the shaded part of that Venn diagram and actually love what I do, not do what I love. I didn't have the luxury to do it the other way around. So for people who are facing burnout, or approaching burnout. And I realize you have the, the, the steps program, but people haven't read it yet, and they're going to. And they're saying, Nicole, just help me. How do I turn this ship around? What do you tell them? I think you have to realize that you have to be in balance and in chaos. I would think that I would be. In balance and in chaos. Yeah, instead of or. So I would always say, let me even get through this lunch. I'll be in balance after this chaos, yes, right? Yes, yes. Or so, like, it will be one or the other. Like, right now, things are so chaotic. I'm not going to take my own advice even, but I'll get back to that balance stuff after this. But there's but that's always the same more woman. chaos. That's right. the same woman who says, my job is awful, but if I stick in it for the next year, then I will get that promotion. And during that year period, she's miserable, she's tortured, her boss is awful to her, and then at that one-year point when she's ready for the promotion and the boss passes her over or quits, she's crying in a bathroom stall at work. So accepting chaos and, and, and waiting for the balance 
only makes you suffer in the near term. Yeah, don't do that. Don't do that. It's a game of whack-a-mole. Because you, even if you try to do that after one year, it becomes another promotion or it becomes some chaos at home or whatever. It's like always more chaos no matter where you turn and always another problem. And you're right. People do TMI. We all have problems. I have more issues than Vogue. So we're, we're all in it together in that sense. But we also should understand that while this woman is waiting that one year or whatever, she can be in balance and doing things for herself at the same time not waiting until the very end. I know in the book you're speaking to women and you researched it for women and about women, but do you think one of the issues is, in many instances, we're pioneers in all the things that we want to achieve right now. We feel like, do we have the right to go out and pursue something if we have children at home? And if we do go out and pursue a major career, is it okay that maybe we're foregoing the opportunity to have a child? Men don't necessarily have this burden of thought yet because there are generations and generations of men who have done what these guys are doing. When they, when they were little kids, they thought, I'm going to get up, I'm going to one day, I'm going to get a job, I'm going to support my family, and I'm going to go to work. They, they weren't dealing with this push-pull, uh, uh, pressure cooker of anxiety that you're talking about that we're living with. Well, yes. So we did the largest study on women and burnout in particular that showed that 80 to 90% of us are on the verge of burnout or breakdown like never before. But yet, most of us think, the most fascinating stat was that 70% or so think that our lives are sustainable. So what gives? I think that's the most what interesting gives? stat of them all, right? Something has got too. And I don't, again, don't, don't know much about men. If anyone else does, please chime in. Uh, but I think that those set of circumstances for us are unique. And also coming up with the, you know, the idea that we should trade in our busy badge of honor for a more productive one is, is a much more fashionable choice. I think that we're constantly living in this breathlessness, like that we're being stressed all the time makes us important. I've had to get down with the idea that being stressed doesn't necessarily make you important or being breathless isn't awesome and being in that state of breathlessness is something we should try to unwind. I don't know if dudes do that but I've certainly lived in that breathless state for a long time. Are you comfortable not being busy? Sometimes. That means no. Sometimes. I think that... <laughs> How does it make you feel if you don't get many emails tomorrow? or your phone doesn't ring that often. How do you feel if that happens? So I feel great about it now. Um, my former self wouldn't, would have had a panic attack or broken out into hives for sure because so much of my worth was surrounding work. Now it's not, 100% not. Um, and I also can really feel the difference if I don't stick to a morning and evening routine. And that means like not looking at my phone for the first hour when you do, as you know, you get into other people's agendas, you become a firefighter, and you accomplish what they want you to accomplish. Then you go what on do you Instagram. Mean by that? Well, I think it's about waking up in the morning and be, for me, being off my phone and actually starting a day with a gratitude journal. I can feel the difference when that, when that doesn't happen. Even this morning, there was a gazillion things going on, and I just stopped, and I was like, I have to take one minute to do my gratitude journal. It's going to change the day. And what does that look like? And it just says three things that I'm grateful for, and typically you want to write 
down, not just like your daughter, which you're of course grateful for her, but you wanna say like the hug that I gave my daughter. So it's a moment, you know. Being present for 10 to 15 seconds is where you create a moment. So you actually have to be present for that. So three things you're grateful for, three things that would make today great, and then what your mantra is. And today it just says like I am, and then I wrote in Superwoman. Since you started doing that, do you think it impacts how you interface with others and how you treat others? And the example I would give, sometimes we wake up on the wrong side of the bed. And when we wake up on the wrong side of the bed, we often get up, leave our house, and we are that fire-breathing dragon who believes somebody stole a cab from us, somebody took an opportunity away from me at work, and somebody cut me in line. Does the gratitude journal or taking that minute or five minutes to meditate, does it create a mental cushion for you so you don't come out swinging? It does, and now we've found more research. Clearly that doesn't happen to me. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, there are good days and bad days. I think that if I have more good days than bad days, then I'm winning, and I'm, not, I'm never gonna say that I'm an expert in anything, first of all. I don't think anyone is. I'm learning every single day. You know, I, what I have become an expert in is regaining my balance and the skills that I wish we learned in school to regain it when I will slip, because I know I will. But yes, that gratitude journal does change the day for me. Research has shown that just the act of searching for something you're grateful for and not just the pleasure does turn on the dopamine happy juice in our brain. And I will juxtapose what happened in my last book tour, for instance, or the one before. I was in Times Square in the NASDAQ like for five minutes, I believe. They put the whole thing up. It was awesome. I went, I took a picture, I took a boomerang, because I have to. And then I was like, okay, guys, we gotta go to the next thing. And they were like, lap in. You're in Times Square. Like, chill. Like savor Soak this for this one, for these five minutes. Like it's gonna be okay. We're gonna get to the next place. And so it's a constant reminder to do that, especially in New York, especially when everything feels frenetic. All the pressure that we're talking about, how much worse is it for all of us because of social media? So the, one of the first things that I did was get off all social media and- No, excuse me, who fought this? She's never been off social media. Oh, it's true. No, these it's, two right here. Honestly, has there been like one minute where she hasn't been rocking it on social you media? You can tell her. Okay, she actually will shut it off. Um, I think she programmed it sometimes. Yeah. I program it, girl. There you go. I, program, I have all my posts for 30 days in advance, and I just sit down and I just knock it out. Um, and I plan and I figure out hacks that are gonna help me. And then when I first got out, I took off all my apps on my phone and I only could log in on a browser, so I safeguarded myself for myself. So you could only look at those apps if you were sitting down in front of a computer or a laptop. Yep. When you just had your phone, you yeah. didn't have access. Yeah, I have a whole digital detox. I mean, I felt withdrawal symptoms, for sure. I felt like I was coming off drugs, but my drug was social media. You know, we, look, we touch our phones 80 times a day. We don't do anything, Steph, 80 times a day. We don't eat, we don't go to the bathroom. We don't smile 80 times a day. We do nothing else. I mean, we've had this tool that was supposed to help us. Now we've become slaves to our phone. And actually, some of the old school things, because it's replaced our alarm clock, our flashlight, our calculator, who has a calculator. And now, you know, I got an old school alarm clock. I have an iPod when I travel. And so it safeguards me from myself before I end up down on my ex-boyfriend's cousin's dog's. Instagram page in the morning, and that's not how a productive day starts. 
See, for me, it's just my high school prom date. You're in so much worse shape than me, so I'm, I'm good. Um, I want to ask you this. You don't take no for an answer. You are a force of nature, but you're extremely positive. Is that what your secret sauce is? Because most people with your kind of drive and will do it with an iron fist. You do it with a smile and gratitude. Is that your magic? On, on good days, you know, I think that I've seen death in its eyes so many times. I've mm. seen the worst in humanity, and I ha have all the reasons to be jaded, I think. But You're I not. still believe the best in people. I still believe in love. I still believe in happiness. You know, every time I wish on a penny, and I think a lot of pennies out there in different wishing walls around the world have the same wish attached to it. I wish for happiness. And, you know, I've realized that I'm in charge of a lot of that. And I, um, I am hopeful. I don't know if I'm positive every single day. My team can tell you that, you know, there were a couple moments today that were not super positive, for being honest. Um, but yeah, if I can, like I said, have more positive times than negative times in morning. That's a win. All right, we have time for a couple questions. Hi, thank you for being here. Thank you. you What's your name? Oh, I'm Chelsea Lynn Rudder. Hi, Chelsea. I'm Nicole. And actually, my really close friend, Sean Louis, says hello. He said that you would know him. So hopefully, it's not too long off yet. But um, I started a, um, an anecdote about you turned 30 and you freaked out on your boyfriend, and then we got. And then Stephanie got me, yeah. spanked Sorry. me. It's something that my girlfriends and I talk about all the time. Actually, when I was at CNBC, I did super early morning show. So I started on the air at 4 a.m. Um, and I was on Morning Joe. Um, and Mika Brzezinski like, took me under her wing. She was awesome. She would call me in the afternoon, which was 10 o'clock in the morning. So it was the afternoon for me. And she'd be like, what are you doing? I'd be like, Mika, I'm on the couch with a glass, I mean a bottle of Cabernet. She was like, do you want to get married? One day she said this. And I said, well, sister, I thought you'd never ask. Yeah, it was a bad joke. But I, I said to her, I don't know. I'm married to my career. I was in my 20s at the time. I was like, I don't even want to think about that. And she's like, you need to decide. You need to figure this out. And you need to just decide, again, whether you want kids or not. Nothing is more time, money, and energy intensive than them. So I came up with this plan. And I came up with one, three, five, seven, ten 10-year goals, like I said before. And year one, I was like, oh my gosh, well, I have to listen to Mika. Year one is go on a date. <laughs> year three is get a boyfriend. But at least it gave me some direction for it. And those goals changed. I met a guy who had a kid and, you know, I changed the goals yet again. But I feel like every time 
I, I said to her, I was like, I've known these girls who make a plan for a guy and I, I'm not that girl. She said, you actually do take some of that energy that you're talking about, so don't shame yourself for it um, and, and put it toward all aspects of your life. And so, yeah, I think sometimes the harder you push and the less you surrender, the less that happens. I'm in the same boat as you are. Um, but I think that with our biological clock, that's not psycho at all because it's normal. Um, you know, it's, but it's real and it's different. Like Tim Ferriss wrote, um, he's an awesome, he's a friend, like the four hour work week is great, but there's no talk about lady stuff. You know, go into the bathroom and do pull-ups is like not a thing. Love you, Tim, but it's like not a thing that I'm going to do. Um, and so I think that there is some of this content that needs to be tailored for what that looks like. And so have I figured that part of my life out? Heck to the no. Um, but again, I think that I, I have used some of the same tools to that area of my life, and you shouldn't be um, hating on our new friend because of that. And incorporate the hay method, which uh, my girlfriend Christy said that I talk about too. Um, so got off all of those dating apps too, and then I just started saying hey to people walking on the street. Okay, what she doesn't mean is when a guy sends out a text at midnight to every woman that he knows that goes, hey, don't respond to No, that. it's not so that. don't get confused with which hey that is. Right. Yeah. It's like being present. It's so crazy. Like, you'll actually meet people when you take your eyes off your phone and put your eyes on their face. Yeah, like put work into the in real life aspects of dating as well. Yep, that IRL from URL life. Just trying to live that. Hi, my name's Leah. Hi, Leah. Um, hi. Nice to meet you. So I recently left a 17-year-long career in an industry that I absolutely loved, and it was 100% because of burnout. I was completely defined by my job. So when I quit, it was traumatic. Like, I didn't know who I was. So for the past year, I've been working on rebuilding that. So I want to thank you for being vulnerable and for writing this. I'm super excited to read it, and I appreciate it. I'm sorry thank for being you. emotional, but it's a, it's a big thing for me. Um, but also what I've learned is to be really strategic in what you want. I'm in a unique kind of situation with no debt, thank you for your other books, um, um, and no, no pets, and no children. So I'm actually able to be super strategic about what I want to do and what I want my life to look like and how to create that. So I'm curious, my question to you is when you kind of hit that rock bottom and you started over yourself, that's been hard for me to look at myself. Everything I do is for others, and I love that, and it's super important to me. It's a big piece of me, so taking care of myself is just not even in the picture, but I'm trying to be strategic about doing those things for myself, um, and being here today is part of that, um, but did you feel like you kind of things that you used to focus on, that you just said, you know what, I've always done that before, and it hasn't served served others. Did you change those pieces? I know for me it's like, am I divorcing my husband or am I divorcing my career and everything I love and everything in my life? And kind of choosing between what I really, like what I'm really letting go of and not letting go of everything and starting over with everything because there's so many things in my life that I've built that I'm super proud of and that I want to still focus on. 
Can I have a hug? Oh. <laughs> sure. Thank you so much. I feel like you're, <laughs> you're doing great. You know, I felt like I was in an abusive relationship with myself for a really long time. Um, and I think a lot of us are. And I think it was about quieting that mean girl inside your head. Um, Steph, do you have any thoughts on this? I think you need to give yourself some grace. You are putting an enormous amount of pressure on yourself. And we can feel it. I mean, we feel it right now. And I think the thing that brings you love, and I think the thing that brings you success in life doesn't define you. It's who you are. It's being your best self. And I think that we, we have too many things like the word strategic. And we care about companies that are disruptors so much. And I think if you can wake up halfway happy and go to bed as happy as you were when you woke up, I think it's a winning day. And I'm going to speak for Nicole and I as, as two women who forever have defined ourselves by our jobs and our spouses and our boy, our, you know, bang, 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 bang. Those are all just things. And if there's anything that people who have lived in New York all these years have taught us, loads of people in this room lived here on 9-11. Loads of people have, have lived the last two years in New York City or in America where we're losing civility and dignity. And so the fact that everybody in this room showed up tonight respects themselves, respects their community. And we're at the 92nd Street Y. I grew up in New Jersey and went to public school. It's a big deal for me to get to be here. And so when you talk about you're being strategic, you are strategic. I think you're putting so much pressure on yourself. And whatever you do next, whatever it is, you're good enough. And it's not a guy or a job that makes you the best. You're the fucking best. <laughs> I'm going to let Nicole have the last word. This is her show. Yeah. No, she got the swearing in. I think you also put a lot of stress on the distress that already happens. I think we end up shaming ourselves for things that already go wrong on top of that. And by the way, stress is neutral. Um, I didn't even know that. Um, I you stress is a good kind of stress, like EU, euphoria type stress, and distress. Like you wouldn't want Tom Brady on the field with no stress, right? Stress is a good thing. I mean, stress, people Unless keep you're not thinking, a Pats fan. But. People keep thinking that friction is a bad thing. Friction is what gets motion, right? Something that people are confused by is what peace is. Everyone's going, I'm looking for peace in my life. Peace is not, is not two sides agreeing. Peace is two differing bodies coexisting and thriving. So stress is one side is pushing on the other, and that's okay. Embrace it. Just don't let it control you. And realize that one of my favorite things is uh, reminding myself that you can be a work in progress and a masterpiece at the same time. <laughs> yes. Well, you, Ms. Nicole Lappin, certainly are both. Thank you thank so you. much for having me here with you, and thank you for being here.